Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder, she has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Product Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Snyder, with my brilliant co-host, Mina Kunlo-Sitep. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. So we are excited to have a really special guest with us today. We have Kelsey O'Callaghan of Dry Home. Welcome, Kelsey. Thanks, guys. Excited to be here. So Kelsey is actually in one of our masterminds, and we asked her to be on the show because she created her product, which one, is just incredible. And two, she did it by getting funding on Kickstarter. And so she had a really, as far as, far as I'm concerned, I thought, quite a successful Kickstarter. And I get so many questions from clients about how, the, how they should do it. Should they do it? Do this crowdfunding? And you, had, you were funded and you were able to move it into your business. And I just really wanted to kind of get behind the scenes and talk about Kickstarter and all that goes into it. Great. Yeah, I think that Kickstarter and Indiegogo, there's such a mystery to a lot of people. Um, and it's a good option if you can't bootstrap the whole entire way. So I'm excited. I'm excited to chat today. So let's start with telling us a little bit about Dry Home. Yeah. So um, we came up with the idea for Dry almost a year ago. My uh, partner and uh, co-founder, um, he has a product manufacturing company, product design and manufacturing. And I have a branding and design, a user experience design company. And so we are the type of people who are always looking for ideas and coming up with inventions. That's a routine thing. (laughs) And um, he found this material, which is really unique in that it instantly evaporates water and it um, is antimicrobial because of that. So the environment does not allow moisture to be there long enough to grow uh, mold or bacteria. And so he found this material and thought it was really cool. And then for me, I have a definite lifestyle interest in kind of getting back to basics, using more natural products, trying to eliminate a lot of excess in your home. And so um, I looked at the sustainable side of it and the it's completely compostable. It's made from basically fossilized algae. And so I thought, okay, this is pretty neat. It already was pretty, it's a known thing in um, some of the health and wellness sectors. And so I realized, okay, we could really apply a brand to this. And coming from that background of how do you, are you solving an actual problem? And is there an emotional connection with people? And I think, you know, even Kickstarter, though it's an early platform, you for sure have to have those things. You have to say, okay, is it um, solving a big enough problem? Does it reach a big enough audience? And is there a way that we can provide some differentiation and positioning from a branding perspective? So your product is bath mats with the material though, right? Yes. Uh huh. So we definitely, and thanks for clarifying. um, I think I probably start a bit broader because we do eventually want to expand into other products in the home. But the first thing that we tested on Kickstarter as a point of validation was the bath mat. And then we could say from a differentiation, this is the world's driest bath mat. And so that's another thing that I'd advise is having some sort of pithy way to describe what makes it different in one line that can stand out. Love that. Yeah. It has to have a cool factor, right? That's why you see so many tech stuff on Kickstarter because those are the things that people are looking for because the audience is early adopters. So they are looking for those cool, innovative things. And I love that you were inspired by the physical material. So oftentimes as a fashion designer, either people, I think it's, I think that the thing is, is male designers tend to find fabric and then get inspired by fabric and then design against it. I think this is the, the, the way that it goes. And then female designers will actually think of the idea and then go find the material for it. So it's really interesting how you guys found this material and you were like, this is such a cool material. What do we do with it? And bath mat is so smart because 
it's super low profile, really modern, fits in with all those sort of like modern bathrooms that you're seeing all over Instagram and social media. Um, and it's super usable. So when you say world's driest bath mat, you're like, yes, because I have kids that splash water out of the tub or like a small bathroom and I'm, you know, or you don't want people to slip. So you're, you're solving the problem in the sentence of telling you what it is. Definitely. And as far as even looking at like launching a product, I think it's always good to look at like a matrix of coming up with like, okay, so what exists out there now? So we came up with a big matrix of, okay, there's Crate and Barrel, there's Target, there's you know, Studio McGee, their local owner, McGee & Co. There's a bunch of these interior designers that are, you know, creating their own brands. So you look at what exists in the space now and it was really, okay, you have these firm raw, a trend towards raw with like bamboo teak mats. And then you have these soft absorbent, but they often trap water, especially in a moist environment. And so we said, okay, there's this spectrum of where we where the products are and then where we can say we're different and stand out in that matrix, but also for pricing. That was helpful for us to say, okay, how could we position our price? Because we can look at where do we want to be with those crate and barrels, with a Koyuchi or some of those organic home brands. Amazing. So you came at it from a place too, because you're in the, the development phase, where can we fit in, in the market? So there's a need or we see a need, but you're going to somewhat disrupt it. And then where can you fit in? And so you thought about the price. So did you do any sort of in your development phase, think about the sizing according to the cost? Like did, how did your pricing affect the actual development of the product? Definitely from a I'd say even from like manufacturing constraints. So even though this is made of what getting super sciencey here is called diatomaceous earth, and that's that fossilized diatoms or very, very tiny algae. Um, and it's from the bottom of the sea. And so that's a powder that's extracted and then it's compressed with a fiber. And so it's actually hard. It's not a soft bath mat. It's a hard, almost like a stone. I describe it like a firm ceramic, like a durable ceramic is kind of the look of it. And so you have some manufacturing constraints knowing, okay, these are produced in massive sheets. And so what do we cut? And then thinking about how shipping is huge, right? So it's a heavier product as well as the size of the shipper box is going to increase your cost down the line. And eventually you need to price things. And this is something that we're learning because we did have to play around with our price a little bit to see what the market would tolerate. And on Kickstarter, you have to offer incentives where you're saying there's tiers of super early bird, early bird, and then Kickstarter pricing, all of which need to be more discounted than what your retail pricing or your website pricing is going to be. And then on top of that, you can charge and it is somewhat standard to charge shipping on Kickstarter but it's going to be a standard shipping rate. It's not going to be by weight. And then on our website, one thing that we're looking at now is since customers have been so trained to have free shipping, you know, it's really hard. You're going to see big drop-offs when you are expecting that they're going to pay a higher or by weight shipping for a heavier product. And so we're really having to make sure that if we do want to offer some free shipping, be it all the time or at a certain price point, that we still can maintain a margin. So I think it's understanding, really getting the numbers from how you're going to be manufacturing, at least having some kind of estimate or quote for what it's going to be in a small quantity. You can't assume that you're going to have a Kickstarter like one this week I saw was by the oatmeal. He did another one of those games and, you know, he's going to raise probably, you know, a million or some kind of, you know, tons of a bigger number, whereas you can't assume you're going to raise a ton to order a large quantity. So I think you have to know what your manufacturing cost is going to be on a low quantity and then have a markup enough to cover shipping as well as hopefully if you want to take it into the future, have enough that you can have some to sell in different channels and know that you're going to take discounts for that. I kind of want you to kind of walk us through the steps actually. So you, you thought about this product, you wanted to fund it and you decided to launch Kickstarter and what does it take to get on to Kickstarter? So what did you kind of have to put together to actually, before you ever launched on there? Yeah, I think that sometimes people don't, you know, think Kickstarter is a just a quick way to get a product out there. And yes, but it takes a lot of work and it also does take resources. And so I think Kickstarter is really good for establishing some of that virality and validation, but it's not going to be your sole funding source. Um, so I think even before you go into setting up a Kickstarter page, 
it is valuable to establish a brand and that's going to, you know, kind of some of the pieces that I described before, but you want people to have trust and how do they feel like you are trustworthy? It's not just, Oh, this is some no label product that doesn't perceive, doesn't give them the sense of perceived value. And so I think that establishing a brand and, you know, there are, uh, cost-effective ways to do that, whether that's through, you know, 99 designs and other ways to get someone to get you a logo, get you a basic, um, you know, color scheme, as well as find other brands that you like. And, you know, I think a lot of early branding is uh, almost like emulating in your own lens, others that you like out there and that you think are doing it well. And so finding that, giving your product an overall brand would be like a step one, kind of narrowing in on what your messaging and your differentiator is. And then, even before, I'd say like up to two months, ideally, but a month or two before you'd even consider launching your Kickstarter campaign, getting up a website that could just be a landing page. So that could be a quick one on Squarespace or we use Shopify. And I think most, I, in my other business, most of my clients, I put them on Shopify if you're going to do a e-commerce business. So getting a landing page up there, it doesn't have to be complex, but it's going to be really important to capture email because that's what we found to be the strongest conversion for sales is email. And so getting a nice landing page up there, um, hiring a photographer. And, you know, I do think that Kickstarter is now, since it's been around for some years, it's prevalent enough that you need to have professional looking photos. Again, that doesn't have to be hugely expensive, but you can't just do iPhone photos for the whole page and for your website. So getting professional photographer, whether that's someone younger out of school. And um, I had a contract with someone around here who was younger at the time. So it's somewhat more cost effective. We use friends for models. So you can just, you know, bring your friends in. And then um, Kickstarter does require a video. And so you're going to want to storyboard that out in advance and know, watch, go on and watch some of your favorite Kickstarter videos and see what they're doing really well and some successful campaigns. So our product is primarily targeting females and it's kind of in that natural home space. So I looked at a few out there that were female focused or in fitness, health, wellness, and saw, okay, these are some pages that I like that they're doing it well and their video. And some of the major things about video, I mean, these are kind of just standard best practices, but making sure your product is shown right away, like in the first couple seconds at first we had to do a couple cuts actually because like there was we were kind of having too much of an intro that before so showing your product right away and then kind of showing the problem and then going into the other pieces so storyboarding it finding a local videographer um so we found we have a family friend who uh, does that he works for a company but he also does it on the side so you know you have to expect that you're going to be paying not only getting your logo, paying for a photographer, paying to do the video, as much as you guys can do it on your own, that's great. But those are all pieces to get those things in place and know that's going to take, you know, probably two months to get all that done, get the site up, start trying to capture email, aggregate emails from your family and friends. We use MailChimp to get everyone's emails in there. And then cutting the video is going to take a couple weeks for the videographer to do. And then once all that's done, you can go to Kickstarter. And then, <laughs> yeah. So then, and I can dive in, um, you know, I, I can stop here, but I can dive into the actual process then of setting up a Kickstarter, but that's just the sort of like front loading. Yeah. We could talk about that. Cause what I, we, you know, when we talk about this, we have an episode on, you know, planning your product development. And so it's even going back past that. So your de product development is done. Like you have a product in hand that you can shoot. So you've been working up to the point of getting the product ready for then that point of photography, video, having people interact with the product, but you may not have production done yet if your Kickstarter is what's going to fund your production. So what you're basically saying is you've gone through all of the initial steps of a startup or even if it's not a startup, it's launching a new product because I know there's several brands on there that will actually on Kickstarter that will actually fund new product lines. Like there's some backpack companies. Um, Hey, previously funded, you know, blah, 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 now has this new backpack. It's the smaller, lighter version, but they had to develop that. They had to create the packaging or branding around it and then do a whole other video for it to pitch to their people again. I mean, they call them backers for a reason, right? You're 
earning the trust of the backers and they usually stick with you even if you come out with like new lines and new things. So I think the video is just so crucial. And watch successfully funded video. Like you can look up like by category funded um, Kickstarters. And I would always recommend everybody look at videos that are successful on successfully funded ones. And actually you could look at ones that weren't funded as well to see what didn't work. Cause I think it's great to sometimes see what didn't work. You're like, Oh, they didn't have a good offer. I would have never funded that. So if you feel like you would have never bought into it, then there's a reason and don't do that. Um, so, I mean, I've seen videos they're, they're more or less long ads or those infomercials that convince you that you have to buy like the air fryer, <laughs> which I want so bad. <laughs> right? Like they're only, they're probably what, a couple minutes or like a minute, but it, you know, it has to be really concise, but it's like you said, here's the product, here's the solution or here's the, do you say here's the problem next? Yeah. So we kind of, yeah, we basically do. And for ours, I think we showed, you know, like, we, oh, I think we kind of tried to make a little fun of the word moist because everyone hates that word moist. And so we really, we introduced with like moist, wet, damp, and like all these, you oh. know, words that kind of evoke an emotion. And then even like peeling up um, mats and we kind of had some mold on the bottom of these mats and showing what the problem is and then saying like, well, you know, we can change that and then making sure that you have imagery that connects to your brand. And you're also going to do a voiceover. And we did look at like hiring someone to do a voiceover and found, you know, it was just not the best use of funds. You know, it would have been probably $800 because I had this ideal of an Australian woman voicing it over in my head. And I wanted that for the brand, but I'm like, okay, $800 could probably be spent a lot of more effective ways. So I just voiced it over. And, you know, I think if you have a, I'm not saying I do, but if you have an okay voice and you can, you know, get a microphone off Amazon, or I think I even used my Apple headphones recorded on my iPhone. And then we sent that file to our videographer. Yeah. It's, I mean, even Mina and I, who I remember I used to never be able to hear my voice on a um, voicemail type thing, you know, and now we speak on this podcast, but we have, we've had to do voiceovers. We have a video oh, that gosh. we did. And, and I still was, hate my voice on that voiceover. I re-recorded <laughs> the way that my voice didn't go up. So I like, I went back and I re-recorded parts of it because you just get really critical when it just gets broken down to that. But I love that tip. Um, also, I think when it comes from the owner, it feels like you're a little bit more connected to that person too, especially if you're asking like if the first two people you're approaching are your friends and your family. Wow, that's Kelsey's voice. Like Kelsey is asking me to fund this really cool idea. So, okay. So we get to the point of all those kind of set up things before, and then we talk about, okay, so now you're, can we say how much you made on Kickstarter? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. So you funded, it was at 70,000? Yep. Just, yeah, just almost at seventy. And how many backers did you get? Um, I would say about 600. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a little. Um, I would have to check in. That could have been Matt sales as well. Maybe actually, I think we might've gotten closer to 800 now that I'm thinking about it. But, um, you know, our product, we also sold in some bundles. And that's something I'd recommend to you, like as you're setting up your rewards. But to, I mean, to kind of back up a little bit, even before it was important in my, co-founder and boyfriend, he is like one of those super backer. That's actually a term super backer. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he's back 70 Kickstarters. Oh, wow. And so you, I do think it's important for the person who's launching it to have some experience. And so whether that means you go on and start backing some nice things that you would want, um, to not, to see the experience of how other, um, campaigns are handling it. And so that it does give you more credibility because the there's like every platform, there's a community and so there's a community of backers and they don't want all of a sudden some company who comes in and says like, Oh, we've never, you know, we're just going to use this as a revenue stream and we don't really, we're not helping each other out or participating and supporting each other. And so it is important to have back. So when you set up your personal profile, like I have a profile on Kickstarter, my partner has a profile on Kickstarter and our company has um, a project that is done by our profile. So your profile of who sets it up should have someone who's backed a couple projects. So you don't just look like you're coming in there. And then Kickstarter has tightened down on um, whether we're saying prototype or sample. Our product is pretty simple. And so it's it's more of a sample, but it is a what we would call our first prototypes that we had made locally here in Utah just with... Um, we had, uh, there's a cover on our mats as well that is a patent pending piece. And so we had a local 
um, seamstress. So that, and then we have uh, Jason with his company. That's my co-founder has a lot of the prototyping resources with his team here. So they were able to prototype the mats locally. So once you have that, you have to, let's say, if you have something more complex, you have to demonstrate to Kickstarter that it actually works. Mm. Can't fake it anymore. And that's just because I think too many people got burned and it just, you know, used the platform incorrectly. And so we've had a couple clients who have tried to send in, you know, boxes that, or like fake it with a video. And it's just, it's very challenging if you're going to take that route. They want to see that it works. They want to see a live video if it is something that's more technical. So yeah, so that's like one, another product that we collaborated with was a hair towel, but they also are coming out with like battery powered. So cordless hairdryer that they've been in the process of developing for a while. And like they have, they can't just fake that. They have to show this actually works. That's more complex example. So you went in and you're like, okay, okay, I've got the stuff to put up. It's like building a website, right? I've got all the things that I need now to put up on, on Kickstarter. Did you then, cause, cause well, I want to bring into this, that you didn't do this alone, that you actually hired a company to assist because oftentimes we have clients or my clients with designer consulting co-op that are like, I'm going to just, when I talk to them in the very beginning, I'm like, how are you going to fund this? And they're like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go on Kickstarter, do crowd you know, crowdfunding. Okay, great. But that's still somewhat of like a launch. There's still, like you're saying, there's still this whole process to it. And if you're relying fully or solely on that money you're going to raise on Kickstarter, then you sure as all heck have everything set up to make it a successful, like successfully funded. So um, did you at that point find another company to help you or did you set up your page? Like what, what was your next step? Yeah. So I think, you know, plan for a couple thousand at least for the creative pieces up front, you know, whether that's for your photographer, for your videographer, that's going to, depending on where you live, a couple thousand there. And then, um, there are companies that specifically focus on crowdfund marketing. And so there's a lot out there that you can Google. There's a couple local here in Utah that we spoke with to check out what their different rates are. And it varies between you can hire them and they will set up your page for you. And they also will try to start doing that email capture. If you haven't on your own, you know, they'd be taking that role if you weren't the person who set up your own landing page. Um, And so that we did some pricing around to figure out the best ones there. I personally, especially coming from a background of design and brand, I like to have more control over that. And so I prefer to design the page itself and the page for Kickstarter. If you're not a designer, I would hire one because it's not it's like really, it's almost like a blog, like an old school blog. And so the way that you have to design it is design it in a tool and export as like images or PNGs. And so you're going to export basically chunks of images and stack them on top of each other in order to create those pages that look good. And then you're going to make like dummy buttons. So you're going to link things that go to various pages. So it's like a super simplified, almost like hodgepodge way to design a page. You can't, it's not like a website that can design or otherwise you just have like text and images. So you're going to design your page somewhere else or a company can do that. But again, these companies will charge a couple thousand to me for me, what is like, okay, that's designing one long landing page. I don't you know, you don't need to pay a couple thousand for someone to design a long landing page. And then they will, we did engage a local group around here and they're typically going to ask for some money up front. Um, uh, you know, a couple thousand up front, not only for their services, what they would say, like get everything ramped up. And then they're going to ask for a couple thousand to run ads. And so that they do say that that goes right through to ads, but I will add the caveat that I think social ads are very tricky for, um, a new brand on a crowdfunder. I think if you are an existing brand, like company I love, um, in the sports space is called picky bars and they launched their second product, their oatmeal on it. And they're going to do well because they have this existing audience. They have people who they can already send to the channel. But if you're trying, not only is social advertising getting more and more expensive, it's not like it was a few years ago where you could go a lot further for your money. You have to spend a lot more to get those eyeballs now on these social channels. And so you're going to spend quite a bit, but then be aware that, Kickstarter is still primarily a male demographic and males are not necessarily the ones buying your bath mat for your home. Um, and what I would call a premium bath mat for your home. And so you're converting and speaking to a male 
tech demographic. So definitely put a tech spin on your product. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, we still got women and especially through emails, but know that when you are spending on social ads, you're not only having to convert, so that's your first hurdle, but then you're converting someone to a pre-sale and people, especially with Amazon, it's like you convert someone to get their product in six months. So then you're converting them to get there in six months. And then on top of that, it's a whole hurdle to get someone to buy on Kickstarter who hasn't. So you're going to see such greater conversion numbers from existing backers. And so going out and trying to do a bunch of Instagram ads of reaching for me, what I would say like the eco cheek woman. So either she values design as well as she values sustainability. And those are things that are important to her in her home and how she aspires to live her life. But that doesn't mean that she's going to go on this new platform, a Kickstarter, or even like our friends and family and our moms. It was hilarious to try to, you have to realize you have to educate these people. And so you're going to have to have emails ready to explain to someone what they're doing and that you're backing a project and this is what it means. And this is how you go through. And yes, you have to create an account. So it's a pretty (laughs) high barrier to non, um, non backers. And so, you know, we engage this marketing group, they spend a little bit on social, but where we saw and where they saw the strongest conversion was actually through email. And that's partially why the value that these marketing groups bring. So though they are going to also take a, they're going to take a percentage of your total funding. So for ours, I think all in, it was probably around 20 K. So if we raised 70 K, we had to pay that, you know, maybe it was something like eight upfront, eight K upfront. And then that additional percentage, um, when it funded successfully and a lot of the way that they track. And again, if you're using a marketing group, I would really recommend that you set up, um, individual links. So you have to create a bunch of specific links, whether that's through Bitly or something else, and make sure that your friends and family and anyone who you guys are um, recruiting to the page goes through those links so that you're getting the credit for that and you're not paying the marketing firm for that. So you have to have these unique links set up. um, And then, yeah, I'd say that the the group uh, helped us from a email perspective as well as from uh, cross promotion. That was one of the high converters as well. And that's that they send out these recaps to existing backers. Because if you think about it, another one is called Backer Kit. I don't know where they're located, but they're pretty prevalent and they help with the post process, which we can talk about because that's a whole headache to the post Kickstarter process. But they, um, all these companies have a bunch of aggregated email lists from people who have funded other um, Kickstarters. And so you're already getting the goal. I think the best, most effective spend for marketing is just expanding your reach within existing Kickstarter audiences. And so they do a lot of cross promotion with weekly emails of, hey, here's what we're liking. Here's what's trending. Or what I would recommend if you're not using a marketing group, like reaching out and finding, like I mentioned that hairdryer, their company is called Volo. And so, okay, they were doing a um, a hair towel that's really absorbent, but soft. So it's a great cross promotion for our demographic. So if we can in our update emails, because you're going to send update emails probably on at least a weekly basis during your campaign um, to your your backers, you're going to want to include some of that cross promotion and hope that they do the same. So cross promotion is also effective. So finding other companies that are, are doing similar, like not similar, but to similar customers and then saying like, Hey, do you want to cross promote for each other? Could you do targeted ads then? So for example, if you know that a product was like very specific, like was funded, could you potentially do targeted ads to people who liked Volo in the past, their last promotion or last Kickstarter? Did you guys try that at all? You know, I, I'm sure you could. I know that the marketing group did a bunch of different, they do a bunch of, you start by doing smaller testing in a lot of audiences. So you're going to set up a bunch of different campaigns, you know, through the Facebook ad manager, but that's going to go across both Instagram and Facebook. And you're going to say, okay, which audiences are converting and then put more money into spending as you would with Um, you know, any kind of campaign that you're initially running. I think the way that you'd be able to do that is probably as I'm just thinking through it through a lookalike audience. So there's a piece on Facebook where, you know, I basically, if I'm going to run an ad, I'm going to upload who my current audience is or say, okay, based on my current Instagram followers, this is who maybe see those, sees those eyeballs. And so if there was some way where you could 
have that. I know that on social because especially the heat that Facebook um, gets under for just, you know, the maybe a little bit of uh, casual nature with data. So they um, have to now, you have to say that you are the owner of that list and that you have the rights to be sharing it. And so if you have permission to do that, yes, but they have a lot more checks and balances in place now to say that you're not just like finding a list of people that could be manipulated in a certain way. And right. so I think, yeah, if you have permission, like we, Ryan is the founder of that company, Volo. So we have conversations with him separately and kind of, you know, I think if we were mutually in agreement of like, let's help each other out, maybe can we create a lookalike? That'd be one way to do it. But I also know on Kickstarter you can, or on um, Facebook, you can set those interests. And so, you know, entrepreneurship, crowdfunding, right. those are interests that you'd want to target for people. Right. Yeah, that's the conversion end. I think if you were to target just their likes, a lot of people I've seen, because it's a tight community, like you said, if you back other people, they'll back you. And they say something like, in the spirit of entrepreneurship, back our friends over here, they're all, they're selling bath mats and it would be from like the Bolo backers or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's like backers or backers or backers, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really, really high converting people is the actual ones that love Kickstarter. So I think one of the biggest takeaways, and I thought this is really important for people to hear is that it takes money to make money from crowdfunding. So all of the, you've said thousands and thousands and all the segments that you talked about. So you've already, and like you said, there was 8,000 upfront for that marketing company to help ensure that your Kickstarter was successful. So I definitely like a pet peeve of mine is when people say it doesn't cost anything to start this kind of business. Um, but the product development is part of it. And then as you're trying to get, so whether you're paying for marketing to launch traditionally or you're paying for marketing to get crowdfunding. Um, I do know actually, um, I've met some, he was like a professor at a university, I forget where, that has textile technology. And he says that they constantly do Kickstarters actually to just for the marketing part. They don't need the funding because they have grants through the school, but they get it out there because there's a lot of tech to it. And so people, it actually just gets eyeballs on it. So, you know, some people have done it like that where they're not actually looking to get fully funded. But let's talk about then you setting up your page. I, I'd actually like to talk about the rewards because I think that is so important to get people to fund. So usually there's like a super low barrier, low entry point um, to just fund you if they see it and they want to give you a dollar or $5 and then there's something super high. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think um, you're going to have to set up a goal. So that's like speaking on the monetary side, like you're going to have to set up some kind of a financial goal and you do want to, it's, it's beneficial. I mean, Kickstarter is trying to correct some pieces of their algorithm a little bit, but ideally the closer that you can get to that homepage for discoverability, the better. So setting your goal somewhere that you know that you'll hit in the first, for us, we ho hope to hit it in the first 24 hours. I think we hit it in the first, maybe like 30 or something like that. So we, um, and that's also, you know, you're going to want to send blast to all your family and friends that first day. So set a goal, make sure that you've got your MailChimp set up, um, blast all your family and friends, explain the importance of why they need to fund it now, do all the hype. We did a Facebook Live on that morning with all of our offices together. Um, and so that once you have that goal, and then, I mean, there could be a little bit, I think even us who are experienced in a product and uh, brand launching development side did not expect as many costs as we're facing now. And so that's another piece down the line, it's always going to be so much more expensive because these added on fees. And so as you're thinking about your product and pricing, you can't just set it as like what you think is going to make enough margin on something. So when you have some form of cost, understand, hopefully you're going to hit, depending on where you're manufacturing, that minimum order quantity. And so know that like that is how you're going to set a price there because that's going to impact your price, whether you're assume that you're ordering a small amount because you don't know how successful a Kickstarter will be. And so or assume that your batch is small. And so that's what your set price is going to be. And then, you know, you're going to have to add on all the layers to various things. It's going to cost, it's just going to cost more than you think from a margin perspective. <laughs> and then, so we went on and said, okay, the first, obviously Kickstarter has that anyone can just show support and give what's they're called pledges and rewards. They can pledge a smaller amount if they don't want a reward. And then you set up your tiers of rewards. And they def you definitely want, um, as I mentioned, that incentive for people doing it early. And so set a limited quantity. So create scarcity. So we said, okay, we have 
you know, 30 for this super early backer. And then we have 30 for early backers. And then it goes into regular Kickstarter pricing. And the incentive there is that's how you get people to fund sooner in that first window. That first 24 hours is by saying there's a limited number of this discounted price. And so I want to say maybe it was like $34 and our mat retails at 49. And so we did take, you know, pretty, it might've even been 30 for those first um, 30 of them. And then we have the next uh, 30 that you go through. And then you also want to look at creating larger, just in general as a best practice, larger order size. So how can you increase the price of what people are ordering? And so for us, we did um, like family packs, which are three packs. So people have multiple bathrooms in their home or our mat. We also use it by our door um, for boots in the winter. So you look at, okay, how can we increase the um, quantity or volume? So for people who, for us, that meant, okay, creating a bundle. And then we also have either just the plain mat or the mat with a cover. And so that's another bundle option. So you want to create these bundles to increase your different tiers, to give people options to hopefully, you know, increase their order size. So we went with the one mat, a mat with a cover, and then three packs of a mat, three packs of mat with a cover. Um, we will probably launch some future products uh, on Kickstarter and at that point have talked about what our reach goals. So I know some other brands out there will do reach goals where they say, if we hit a certain amount, then we'll do it either in a separate, you know, maybe a aspirational color or a separate size. Um, so knowing what can you do on the, on a simple enough side manufacturing, but then also offer enough variety to customers, or even I'm thinking about other companies out there. Are there ways where you can get another off the shelf product to bundle it with yours in order to create a little bit more perceived value? So, you know, whether that's, let's say you're, we just thought about this example the other day, like a natural toothpaste company or something like that. You can buy like tongue scrapers for a pretty lower price just from like a, pre-manufactured, you know, um, company or distributor, and you add that on and mark it up. So I would think that there's some perceived value piece that customers say, okay, I'm getting a lot more value by getting in on this early. And then I may spend a little bit more. Amazing. There was, um, did you ever hear about the potato salad Kickstarter? This guy <laughs> said he, he just did a Kickstarter and wanted to make potato salad. And if you did like a dollar or something like that, he would say your name while making the potato salad. And if you did like $5 or $10, he would add your ingredient to the potato salad. He made so much money people because people thought it was like a joke, right? Or they just wanted to participate. He ended up, then he started doing reach goals. Like if we do this locally, I'll throw a party, like a pizza party for everybody while I make the potato salad. So there's actual articles and like we can, we'll put this in the show notes, but there's articles about like the tips and things you could do that he did that were amusing to his, like how you chuckled, but like how things that are amusing and people are like, yeah, I'm going to give a, a dollar for a potato salad. Yeah. I want him to put in like I don't know, English cucumbers or something random, you know? So um, I think it's also, like you said, though, connecting to who the customer is and like what they need. And I love that bundle idea because if you think like the average house has maybe has two bathrooms and like you said, you could do it as a doormat. So finding an alternative for where that Even third... a kitchen mat, right? Because you yeah. spill so much and when you're washing dishes. Did you ever hear about that bachelor party guy? on uh -huh. Kickstarter. So he, they, there was like five guys that are going to this guy's bachelor party. They emailed this guy. Let's say his name is Matt Williams. They emailed the wrong Matt Williams. And he was like, I'm in blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Oh, you seem cool. You can just come anyway. Sorry. We invited you by mistake. And then, so his Kickstarter was help fund me to go to a stranger's bachelor party. He got so funded that there was a brewery that was there when he landed. There's the Aston Martin people that had gave them the Aston Martin for just like so much funding and so much like local support where he was landing for this bachelor party because it was hyped up so much because of, you know, they're like, this is why, you know, you open the email and you accept the invitation, like basically taking mm -hmm. an adventure. And yeah. And then he showed the picture, his Kickstarter was him with his one-year-old saying, I can't afford to go 
to a bachelor party party, much less a strangers. And so, you know, it was just really funny and cool. And the picture of him was like from when he was seven years old with like a karate outfit on. It was just such a good story. So it went viral and there was like, it went viral and yeah. And he got majorly funded on Kickstarter. Not every, I mean, not everything, everything could obviously do that, but you know, there's definitely things to pull from all of these. And like I said, things, places that are funded. So, okay. So you did that. And then, um, so now we're funded and then you get into having to actually get the product. So you were saying there's a lot that goes into the after, the after of, um, after the final rose. (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to see like a pretty big, like a peak those first few days. If you're to look at a graph, right, it's going to be a peak and then it's going to kind of go down and plateau. And I mean, your goal is to try to create some of that hype and incentive along the way, make sure that you're capturing people, make sure you're getting everyone's orders in. So if you can say like, hey, we do have one more bonus thing at the end here, some way to like, you know, try to get people involved more. Obviously, humor goes a long way, like we're talking about here. So if there's a humor element, um, so once it successfully finishes, um, and along the way, you are going to send out it's really big in the backer community to send out updates. I think it's even a little bit excessive, but Jason tells me that we have to do it and video updates are better. So take videos of yourself, um, make it take videos of yourself with the product, make them kind of personal. And then you're going to upload these to your page as well as to your backers. And on your page, you're for sure going to have a timeline. So you have to map out, you know, what's going to happen. And then, when you can start manufacturing, what those times are, make sure that you've reverse engineered all of that and have that timeline on there. So after it concludes, it takes a couple of weeks for the money to get to you from Kickstarter. And so now, you know, you're, if you are either have outstanding invoices or things that you need to work from, you're going to have to build in that time as well before you can pay those. So it takes a couple of weeks. And then on top of that, you have to gather, especially if you have different variants or different, what are like, you know, skews with variants, you have to see what the demand is going to be for each color. So in ours, we have a sandstone, a Himalayan pink and a Bora Bora blue. Those are our three colors of mats. And then we have a warm gray cover, and then we have a gray and white chevron cover. And so there's different backer kit is one of them. We used a local company called crowd control and they are Shopify app. So a lot of these, I think the more that you can integrate with Shopify, the better. And so if you can find something that basically pulls the customer's information, so you're going to send them a survey that's going to ask them which color they want, because that's not an option in Kickstarter. In Kickstarter, they're just telling you, I'm giving you this money on a like a promissory note that if you fund, you're giving me what you promised in a reward. And so now you have to say, what colors do they want? And so for ours, we had to create some restrictions on like bundles, but then you're, you're picking the color. And that's also a really good opportunity to upsell. And so we developed coasters with the same material and said, okay, this is like a great add-on item. It's a low cost. We also have a cosmetic bag that has the material on the bottom. So if you think about your stuff getting grungy when you travel then it absorbs the water and prevents bacteria. So this is where you can do upsells as well as um, also if they want to buy more, say like, hey, this is your opportunity to buy more. You'll be the first to receive it. Create again that sense of value. Um, so they're gonna, you're going to send out a survey using either backer kit or you guess, I guess you could do it with like a Google um, form. We did see that one, as I mentioned, the oatmeal just launched their new one. So of course, Jason backed it and he, they use type form. So yeah, any Kickstarter he'll back, but, um, <laughs> they use type form. So you're going to do a survey. You're going to want to do upsells there and try to get the customer to buy a little bit more. You're going to, at this point, this is where you have to collect their shipping address. Cause you don't, they just, you just collect their credit card info when it comes time to Kickstarter, but you got to realize you're probably at least six months out of development from the time the Kickstarter closes to developing the product. And then let's say you're developing it overseas, that lead time to get it um, to the US. So basically you're um, making sure that you have their most recent shipping address, not the one, not a credit card one. So you're gonna get their shipping address. That's why I like to use these apps, whether it's crowd control or backer kit to integrate with Shopify. So then I have all that customer data imported into my dashboard. And then I have the analytics on how many things people bought, because you're also going to want to see the various colors. If you don't have enough um, 
interest in a certain color, it may not make sense for you to manufacture that. And so the survey is important for you to say, okay, this is the quantities that we have to order in. If something, if you don't have enough of something, you have to email that backer or customer and say, you know, hey, we weren't, didn't have enough to make green, but, you know, pick one of the other ones. Um, so that's where you're going to collect all that data and then go ahead on the actual product development. And that itself is a whole different piece. So I do think, you know, to kind of summarize it up, Kickstarters are super effective for validation and awareness, but know that it's not just like a side task because then you have to figure out all that manufacturing, which is going to be another cost. You have to figure out fulfillment, shipping, how it's going to get to everywhere. And then customer service is a huge piece. So knowing, you know, people that are confused, people inevitably your product's going to take longer than you think or longer than the timeline, even if you cushion it. I would always say double the what timeline, and that's not an exaggeration, double the timeline that you think you need. And then from there, um, basically, you're going to be dealing with customer service, people saying, you know, where is mine? Or just in general, can I change this? And so all those pieces are the trailing that comes after a Kickstarter, but it's a great way to launch a brand. And then you can um, continue into a different pre-sale as well. We continued into pre-sale on our website. So we just said, okay, once it concluded on Kickstarter, and I've also heard of people going on to Indiegogo because Kickstarter only allows you your set time, whether that's 30 days, 45 days. But if you, uh, I think Indiegogo allows you to keep going longer. However, I've heard mixed reviews when I've asked people, you know, has that been a helpful revenue stream? And it's like ramping up a whole nother campaign. So what we did is just took one over to our Shopify change the buttons instead of leading to the Kickstarter. So before on the Shopify, the pre-order now button went to Kickstarter. Now it just goes into Shopify and you make sure that everything in your banner and in your confirmation emails say, you know, you're pre-ordering so that it's really clearly communicated that they don't think that they're ordering something that's going to get shipped in two weeks. You're pre-ordering. This is when we're going to ship it, but we'll send out notifications if there's any delays. And so we continued, let's see, we did ours in... August, um, finished it. So did it throughout the month of August. Our hope was to ship it um, earlier, either in January was our goal, but it just with everything taking a little bit longer and then the rush of getting things out before Chinese New Year, we got them here actually this past week. So this was a big, a big milestone for us. So we got them to our fulfillment center on Monday, they're unpacking and then we'll ship them out to our backers and our online pre-orders next week. And so just to give you a sense of timeline, and that is what I would consider somewhat of a relatively simple product. I mean, there's still a lot of pieces involved in cutting and sewing and then in creating the mats themselves, but it's not a, a high tech, um, you know, electrical engineering or anything like that. And we will be shipping them out next week. But I think it is nice to just roll from Kickstarter into your website to continue to try to keep the momentum going and get just a little bit of revenue coming in along the way. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, the pre-sale version on Shopify versus Kickstarter. So really being clear about that. I cannot even imagine having to field 600 to 800 pre-orders without using some sort of app to clearly navigate through the whole thing. So it sounds like Kickstarter is a way of life for a little bit. <laughs> Oh, for a long bit. There's a different process to it. The pre-work that goes in, pushing it and launching it on Kickstarter, and then the post-work where you're actually fulfilling those orders and you know trying to upsell to hopefully offset some of the extra costs because Kickstarter will probably not fund your business forever. It just, it just won't. Maybe just the initial first run and then you still have to be making money. I think too, Kickstarter also uh -huh. takes a percentage and maybe even like 7% or something. So you just, uh -huh. when you're even hitting your goal, I mean, we feel really fortunate. We got enough to be able to fund like a first order of inventory, at least from a base, basic sense. But we are, we did have to put in, you know, a lot of our own money along the way to cover some of these unexpected fees or a container fee or tariffs or things that we wouldn't expect, but no. Okay. So you, if you're paying a marketing group and then you're also paying out Kickstarter, you know, you got to assume maybe about 30% or, you know, it could be up to, you know, 30,000 of the 70 thousand that we raised that is going out even before, you know, that's out the door. So you don't even see right. that. So then you just have to know that you're going to be working with a smaller number. And Kickstarter is such a great 
way that it does enable companies to do more than they have in the past without taking investment. So I do think it's a great platform, but it's by no means a simple thing. We'll use it again, but expect it takes multiple people and multiple resources to pull off one um, effectively. Um, So Kelsey, can you tell everybody where they can find your iHome? Yeah, so we have a website and it's Dorai Home, which is D O R A I home.com. And we, I'm going to say we're no longer pre sale because <laughs> we are selling. And this has been a long time. This is really exciting for us. Um, you know, this has been a lot of work and a lot of learning. It's fun, but a lot of learning along the way. So you can find us on duraihome.com or we uh, do have an Instagram at Dorai Home. And would love for you to follow along as we keep making products. So I wanted to end it with one question that we ask everybody. Um, and that is, what would you tell baby Kelsey at the beginning of her entrepreneur journey if you could talk to her right now? <laughs> I think I'm still working on it. And I'm going to just <laughs> channel like an external voice to like, chill out (laughs) (laughs) because like I just have these expectations of you know everything being able to get done and even just on myself like how much I'm able to do and I'm sort of at this phase over the last few weeks a little bit more like um of this like self-realization of like you know what you sometimes just have to be understanding that like you can't do everything and everything is going to take a lot longer and I have background in digital, but not as much in product. And, you know, as you guys know, product has so many hiccups along the way. And, you know, when stuff, there's a lot more that's out of your control besides me being able to sit here and design a website and do it, um, you know, exactly in my own capabilities, I can control a lot of that, but you're dependent on things overseas. You're dependent on, you know, rates that have to deal with politics, you're dependent on weather, you're dependent on so many variables that you really do just have to remember to breathe and say, okay, we're going to do as much as we can. And we're going to do the best we can, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And you're not going to disappoint people if it takes longer. I think, you know, for me, it's this sense of like, I don't want to let people down from people who have backed us. I don't want to let the backers down. I don't want to let our early customers down with this brand experience, but realize like they, you know, they're humans too. So be human and give yourself a little bit of a break and know that we'll get there. It's just going to take longer than you think. We love, love, love working with you. And we're so glad that you were able to come on the podcast. So thanks so much, Kelsey. Thanks. And you guys have been so great too. It's been fun to follow your voice and listen as a enjoyer and then also to be a part of the masterminds and now participate here. So this is fun. This episode is over, but it doesn't have to end. Head over to our Facebook group, search for the Product Boss Biz Community, or the link is also in the show notes. Come connect with other product bosses just like you. We'll see you in there. If you love the Product Boss Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, share, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Product Bosses, let's make it happen.